Welcome to Beyond Leadership, at the intersection of leadership and everything else. In this Cleveland Clinic podcast, we will co-mingle with extraordinary thinkers and explore the impact of their ideas and experiences on leadership and management. Welcome to Beyond Leadership, at the intersection of leadership and everything else. I am Brian Bolwell, your host. Today, I'm very pleased to have Steve Pullman with us, who is our Interim Chief Supply Chain and Support Services Officer at the Cleveland Clinic. In this role, Steve leads a multidisciplinary team that spans sourcing, procurement, materials management, support services, including food services, linen and laundry, patient transport, and a variety of other stuff. Prior to taking this role, Steve served as the Executive Director of Clinical Supply Chain when he was responsible for optimizing the entire enterprise clinical supply chain. Steve, it's a pleasure to have you with us today. Thank you for having me. Can you share with us, uh, you joined the clinic about five years ago, um, how you came to the clinic and what you've been doing since you joined. Again, to remind our audience, we have a a broad network uh, that consists of both our main campus here in Cleveland, as well as our regional hospitals. And so Steve, uh, please tell us about yourself. Position. I was uh, asked to join the Cleveland Clinic supply chain team as a, a senior director of materials and management. Primary responsibility in, in the first few years was uh, implementing our just-in-time supply chain delivery system across the enterprise, as well as implementing our um, Wavemark inventory management system, which allows us to manage and track inventory using RFID technology. After that was implemented, I uh, was uh, had an opportunity to, to move into a little bit broader uh, work and, and took over uh, the clinical sourcing team and kept the materials management operations team. And then most recently been uh, asked to sit in, in, in the interim role of supply chain and support services uh, until they get that permanent role filled. So it's been a fun, exciting five years, almost six years now, um, and have uh, run across a lot of people and, and have had a chance, have, have had a chance to work with a lot of people and learn from a lot of people. So it's been, been a great experience so far. So Steve, prior to joining us, uh, you held a variety of other roles uh, professionally, some of which went well and some of which were challenges. Um, can you kind of share a couple examples and, and what you learned from, from times which, when things didn't always go your way? Yeah, it takes me back to you know, shortly after I graduated from college quite a while ago. Um, it was actually my first uh, experience leading people uh, in a manufacturing environment. Um, I uh, was, was very early in my career. I had the opportunity to uh, work in the welding industry and, and manage a group of manufacturing, uh, manufacturing teams, about 80 people or so. And uh, one of the things that uh, I learned was, you know, I, I could not uh, expect all those folks to be just like me and do things just like I would do and, and, and do the work like I would do. So I had to really, really focus on understanding their, you know, their, their personalities and, and, and kind of what makes them tick, kind of meeting them where they are. But I didn't learn that actually until after I, I left that organization. And I reflected on, on some of the things that happened in the organization. And I was, I was asked to create a, a very productive environment. I, I did things the way I thought they needed to be done. I didn't take into account a lot of the exam, a lot of the, the thoughts and, and ideas of the folks. And because of that, um, I ended up losing my job over it because I, I wasn't I wasn't thinking through everything that I needed to think through. And when I reflect on that, that was kind of a watershed moment for me. Um, you know, my next foray into leadership was, was many years down the road. But when I got that opportunity, I really, really thought about some of the mistakes I made in the past. And 
and it got me to where I'm really, really focused on the people and, and meeting them where they're at and, and listening, you know, as folks say, we have, we have two ears and one mouth for a reason, you know, so the listening piece is very, very important and understanding kind of what, where their thoughts and ideas are to, to bring them along slowly and use some of their ideas, you know, where it makes sense because they're the folks that have to live with it ultimately. So one of the things that certainly um, you were passionate about when we talked previously was, again, this concept of, of empowering your team. And I think you said it's very important, if at all possible, to let your team lead the change because most, most of the projects that you're on involve some sort of change management. Uh, how do you make that a reality? Well, you know, I, I allow people to be themselves. Um, you know, I, I really uh, let me back up a little bit. I, I really try to build build the teams and, and, and build the build the folks and, and put them in the right places on the team. Take advantage of their strengths, right? And I and I want them to to be able to manage through that 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 project, that change, whatever whatever it might be. And I'm there to support them all the way through it. I, I want them to to do you know take take their role seriously, and manage their role, and, and do what they're supposed to do. But I'm there to help them. You know, knock down those barriers to, to get to where they where they have to go, and allow them to work through that, and I allow them to make mistakes. Mistakes happen. Let's learn from mistakes and move forward. Um, and it gives them the freedom to think, the freedom to to push the envelope, the freedom to to, to live on the edge if they need to. You know, do what they got to do to get to the end result. I'm there to help them again, knock down barriers. That the kind of that servant leadership approach. You know, whatever I can do to make their job easier, right? And I expect the same thing from them. I expect them to to look at their teams and say, what can I do to support my teams? You know, as, as it kind of goes down the ranks a little bit to, to whatever, whatever they can do to, to make their team's jobs e easier, you know, and that's our role. And, and, you know, ultimately, you know, in the utopia of the world, I would work myself out of a job technically because if they're doing things so well and, 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 and it's a well-oiled machine, you know, I'm not needed there to do the things that, that I, that I am doing now for them, but, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get them to a point where, Again, it, it, it's them. They do the work. I'm there to support, help, being that servant leader to, um, to, 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 to get, to, you know, to allow them to make the change they need to make. So step one in this process you alluded to is to build a good team. How do you do that? How do you, how do you approach uh, recruiting? How do you approach, um, you know, putting people in positions where they have the best chance to succeed? I would say the primarily I look for, for soft skills, right? I look for the skills that are in their DNA. You know, I can train somebody how to manage a product project. I can train somebody how to use technology, but I can't train somebody to, to have a sense of urgency or be that great, great customer focused individual or truly follow up on, on what they do or truly care about, about the customer, the caregiver they're supporting. I mean, so, so those, those things are hard, hard to train. You know, so I look for those intangibles, those soft skills, you know, and if you have those soft skills, you know, again, I can train you to do the work. And customer service is paramount to me, and, and I want to focus on the customer, whether it's whether it's a frontline caregiver taking care of a patient or a frontline caregiver, you know, pushing a, you know, inpatient transportation or delivering a supply to, to an end user or to a caregiver, whatever that might be. Um, the customer is number one. And, and if you ask anybody that works for me, the number one thing they will tell you is I'm focused on customer service. And I really want to make sure the customer has a truly, truly great experience working with my team. So I build based on that intangible. I look for that intangible. And then I take that person and put them in the role where, where, where their strengths uh, can, be, can, be, um, can be used. 
And, and if I need to move them around and, and, and cross train them and get them to be that, that holistic person that I'm looking for, I, I do do that. Um, but I'm, I'm, again, focused on those soft skills, those intangible things that necessarily can't be trained. I always pull out the DNA. I'm looking for that customer service DNA. And um, it's hard to find sometimes. It's hard to actually pick out of an interview sometimes. But when you find one, you know you have one. So when you talk about soft skills and you talk about customer service DNA, uh, how do you evaluate that in an interview? It's tough, Dr. Bowell. It's very tough to evaluate it. I mean, it, it, it's kind of a, you know, it's kind of a, a conversation in the interview and you kind of get a feeling for who those people are and, and, and how they respond to questions. And there's a, there's a level of energy in the interview that's different from a person that may not have that DNA. There, there is a level of energy that's different, especially when you start asking questions about the customer or the patient and, and maybe some experiences that, they, that they've had in the past. It, it, it comes out. It comes out in a way that, you know, sometimes it, it hits you right upside the head. Sometimes you got to dig it out, but, but it, it, it's clearly there. And, it, and you can, in, the vo- in their voice, you can hear the passion. You know, you can hear the, you know, the true dedication and, and the passion that, and the belief of, of where they're coming from. And I think in some cases that's hard to, to, um, to put on a show or act that way. It, it, it has to come out of your pores. It has to come out of your, out of your, out of your heart. And, and, and you, you can see it in their face. I've done an awful lot of interviews over the past 20 years or so, interviewing physicians for different roles. And, and inevitably after an interview, people will tell me that I ask different questions than they're used to, to answering because I actually try to, try to probe for emotional intelligence, which mm-hmm. I think it covers a lot of what you're talking about when you talk about a customer service mentality. And, you know, it's interesting, uh, some people, uh, you know, if I ask something like, tell me about a time you made a mistake and what you learned from it. Some people will run with that pretty easily. And, and other people will, will just kind of stare at me blankly um, with, with not much guidance of, of, of internal guidance of where to, where to and take the question and where to go with it. It's, it's, it's striking how a lot of uh, EQ questions that I think might be pretty common for um, for standard interviews of non-physicians wind up becoming somewhat different when, when we're interviewing physicians for various roles. Um, there's a lot of very good EQ questions that you can actually find on the internet for, on the internet for those of you who are listening and curious. Um, but you always want to want to talk about, want to try to probe for, um, you know, how did you manage a challenge? How did you, or what did you learn from a success or, what do people around you think of you? How do you support your team? Uh, uh, give me an example when you did the right thing, even if it was difficult to do politically. Uh, there's a bunch of them, which I think are very, very useful. Um, another thing, Steve, that you're alluding to is once you have individuals, how do you put them in the right spot? I remember hearing somebody tell me, not everybody does everything well. In fact, nobody does everything well. But what you want to do is put, you know, employee X in a position where if they're really good at doing Y, do more Y. Do you find that to be true? Yeah, I do. I mean, I, I, I it's a, you know, you heard the analogy before, make sure they're on the right seat of the bus, right? Make sure they're on the right, right, right seat, right? And, and, you're, and you're exactly right. It's, you know, it's, it's finding their sweet spot, finding where they're, they're, they, they, you know, finding their sweet spot, but also maybe putting them in a, in a situation where, where it's a stretch, a stretch goal, so to speak, to, to get them to, to, to expand their, their knowledge base or, or expand, uh, you know, their bandwidth a little bit. And, you know, some folks, 
um, take that on and, and, and they succeed in that very quickly. And, and you see a whole nother level of energy at that point. And some folks are very comfortable where they are. And, and you need comfortable folks, too. You need comfortable folks to make the world go around. I mean, you know, the, those folks are the folks that are behind the scenes doing, doing some of the, you know, some of the, the sausage making, for lack of a better term, right? And, and you need other folks out there to uh, teach or think strategically and, um, and, and lead. And giving them those stretch targets or the stretch goals or the stretch, the stretch projects, you know, helps them, helps them get there. Because ultimately, I want to build my team up so I have a bunch of folks that can do my job someday. I mean, that's what I want. I want competition at the level that they, they could come in and, and you know, they, when, when my job becomes available, they're, they're able to have multiple, multiple choices of, 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 you know, they, the Cleveland Clinic, would have multiple choices of, of putting that person in that role, build it to, you know, that level of strength. And then, you know, I, I talk about three deep mentality a lot, you know, going three deep, making sure I have a primary, a secondary, and a tertiary person that can do that role or understand that role or understand that work that has to be done. And um, that's hard to get to. I was there one time in my career at Akron General where I actually had my whole team was three deep. And it was like the greatest six months of my life because it was, it was so easy to manage those folks. It was awesome. I haven't reached it here yet, the Cleveland Clinic, because the team is so large and with the challenges these days with you know hiring folks and, and, and being able to get folks to do the work. Um, it's been tough, but that's still one of my goals. It's definitely one of my goals to get get us three deep, and to a point where that way the managers have time to manage and they're not they're not doing the work as much. Um, so we'll get there someday. But that that's something that I that I that I you know um, aspire to get to. One thing you you discussed when talking about serving leadership is that your role as a leader is to remove obstacles, which I totally agree with. Um, sometimes they're political, sometimes they're other kind of obstacles, but it's our role to to remove them so that your team can in fact succeed. Can you give me an example or two of removing an obstacle? We rolled out our inventory system across the enterprise and we took, we, we reduced, we, we eliminated seven different systems and went to one system. And some of those seven systems were very, were favorites of some of the facilities that we're in. And, you know, and folks, you know, you know, are used to using them and, and didn't want to change. And, you know, it's, it's, it's the whole change management, management uh, around that. You know, so I, I need my folks to focus on the people, the process, and the technology as it relates to rolling out that system. You know, get down in the do the dirty work, figuring out, you know, the the, the workflows around or the workflows around uh, what was happening in those hospitals, the people that were doing them, and then obviously the technology to support those workflows. And you know, you know, and and I, we had a lot of lot of folks that were not excited about about the change. You know, so. I needed them to do their work on a daily basis. I didn't need them to go in there and have to try to sell it every day, every day, try to sell it every day. You know, so my job was to meet with those key leaders at those organizations and, and talk them through, you know, the change and talk them through what the future is going to look like and talk them through the why we're doing this. You know, and it was a lot of phone calls, a lot of, you know, back then it was a lot of more face-to-face -face meetings, you know, pre-COVID and still a lot of phone calls and a, and a lot of conference calls to, to, to kind of walk them through it on a daily or maybe a weekly basis, you know, check-in calls, those kind of things, just to keep them close, right? Keep them close and make sure that they have my ear to lean on if, if they're getting concerned, which allowed my team to work with their frontline staff just to do the work, the busy work. And when you got to the frontline staff, they really enjoyed it because ultimately it was going to make their job easier. The frontline caregivers, those nurses in the operating rooms, those nurses in the CAP and EP labs, it was going to make their job easier because they weren't going to have to deal with ordering supplies, managing, managing supplies any longer. So they were super excited about getting the work done. So I needed that to happen. In order for that to happen, I needed to 
you know, speak with their, their leaders, their, their directors and senior directors to make sure they were good with what was going on. Now, once we got to the point where their nurses were going to them saying, this is the best thing since sliced bread, then all of a sudden this barrier went away, right? And their caregivers, when, when their teams came to them and said, this is great, all their concerns went away because their caregivers were, were happy with the work that was being done. So change management is hard for everybody, um, but you just said that one thing that's very important is to start with the why. Um, Simon Sinek has a book titled Start With Why and, and, and how you try to generate change or generate really kind of any kind of quality improvement. Um, do you find that to be true, that, that kind of getting buy-in about why you're trying to achieve something is critical to its success? Yeah, I, I, I truly believe that. A lot of people lead with the what and they hit a brick wall, right? Yeah. You know, it, 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 we got to lead with, with the why, right? We got to lead, you know, why are we doing this? You know, and then where are we trying to get to? And this is what we're going to do. And this is how we're going to do it, right? This is the what and this is the how. And oh, by the way, you're going to be involved in the how. Your teams are going to be involved in the how. This is not going to be done in a, in a silo or on an island or anything like that. You know, it's, but yeah, it, you lead with the why. And you talk about the where, and then you tell them, you know, the what and the how, you know, because that's usually what they want to know. Ultimately, once they understand the why and, and where we're going to end up, then they want to know the what and the how and how much their time it's going to take or how much involvement from them it's going to bring. And, you know, it, it's ideally doing it with them, not to them. We've used, we use that a lot, right? When we were rolling out the inventory management system and rolling out the low unit measure system, you know, you know, we're not going to do this to you. We're going to do this with you. We're going to do this with you. This is a together thing because at the end, you're going to have to work in the same workflows and processes that my inventory staff is working in. So we're going to do this together. And that made a huge impact doing it together and having that conversation around not doing it to you, but doing it with you. I think that's a really, really key point. And I think you articulated it very well. So 15 months ago, we were dealing with a lot of supply chain challenges with COVID. Uh, nobody expected COVID to happen. Uh, nobody had any idea what the challenges would be in terms of getting PPE, in terms of testing, in terms of all sorts of stuff. How did we approach it? How did you approach it? What worked? What didn't work? Uh, ultimately, I think the clinic weathered the storm very, very well. Uh, but boy, a tough time. Uh, walk us through that time. Yeah, it was a tough time. It was a very um, reactive, reactive time in, in, in the beginning. Um, when we realized that our primary suppliers were not going to be able to keep up with the, the, the extremely, you know, high demands of, of PP and, and the amount and how fast it, how fast the demands went up, so our primary suppliers are not going to be able to keep keep up. So you know, initially we worked through, you know, trying to figure out where we're going to get our PPE from, and a lot of it ended up coming from what I would call alternative suppliers. And the first two weeks, even for us, was pretty reactionary, trying to figure out what was going on, following the news clips, following the CDC, following, you know, you know some of the, the federal organizations, you know, kind of telling us what we're, we expect to see, but nobody really knew what to expect. Um, we didn't know, you know, how the virus traveled initially, right? There was different, different thoughts on that. Um, so we tried to get as many masks, gowns, eye protection gloves as we possibly could. That was, you know, the, the primary things. Um, one thing that we did about two and a half weeks in is we actually put an emergency management structure around the whole supply chain uh, COVID response, for lack of a better term. And once we put that structure in place, again, what we did is we took folks that had roles 
you know, negotiating contracts and sourcing contracts and our buyers doing buyer work and our analytics folks doing analytics work. We actually took them, talked to them and changed their roles during the COVID response period. You know, we had multiple people working from home, but their jobs were changed a little bit or their jobs slowed down a little bit because we weren't doing normal hospital work at that time for a period of time there, a couple months, a couple months and a half, two months, two and a half months or so. So we took those folks and we, we asked them to change their role and be part of this emergency management response, you know, COVID response team from a supply chain standpoint. And we had we had a team that did only looking for product. We had a team once the product was found, we had a team that, you know, that bought the product. And we had a team that had to distribute the product. And, and we had a team that had to make sure that it was re-inventory. And, you know, so we kind of ch- broke up that work into many, many groups instead of trying the four or five of us trying to do it, you know, all on our own, you know. So Again, so leading through change, you know, getting those folks to understand the why. It was all about why, why, am I, why am I not doing my regular job? Well, it's not that we don't need that job right now, but that job is not as important as this job is at the moment. So we need, need you to do this role first for a while. And that went on for about from March until June. In June, July, we, we finally got our feet under us a little bit and things started going, you know, heading back in that normal direction a little bit last summer. But it ebbed and flowed, obviously, until this, this, this spring and summer. Um, but those folks ultimately went back to their, their, their normal roles about in the fall of the year because we were able to finally catch up and work with our suppliers. The suppliers finally caught up, things like that. So, so it, again, it was about organizing it, you know, and then structuring it or organizing it, you know, with the appropriate emergency management structure and then getting the people to fill those roles and then managing it through it that way. And once we got that in place, it became a little bit calmer and we actually could could think a little bit as opposed to react. One of the things we did is we built our own testing platform, which which must have um, yeah helped from that perspective. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the testing platform was you know, we built our own, and that was a whole nother process of you know figuring out how we we're going to get swabs and and you know test kits over to the, the testing facility. Uh, the suppliers couldn't get us our swabs, so we ended up working with the pharmacy and manufacturing our own transfer media, and we went went and bought swabs, you know, from whoever we could get them from. We built our own test kits. So again, that was another role thing. We, we took folks that were responsible for doing X, and we had them do Y. We had them build test kits and manage that process for a long time, you know. So that was that was a challenge to to, to roll that out, and that happened within like a six day period, you know, from the time they decided to set up the test facility to the time they were going to go live. It's about a week, maybe maybe a week and a half. So we had to get all that in place uh, pretty quickly. I mean, so it was it was it was a team that was very responsive and very agile. And you know, I, I couldn't have been more proud of, proud of them as we, as we went through that you know that March, April, May, June timeframe. You know, you know, last year about a year ago, and um, it was it was it was interesting to watch the team come together so nicely when they're all focused on a common goal, which. I'm sure, Dr. Bobo, you've experienced that too. When you get a large group of people focused on one thing, it's amazing how much can be done, how quickly, without any question or argument. Folks just do it. And it, it, it's a testament to, to the folks on my team and, and how they came together and did that. Yes, I agree with you. If, if you have alignment on, on purpose and, and goals and, and vision and mission, I, I think that you can achieve almost, almost anything. One of the keys for leaders in the pandemic was uh, communication. How did you communicate to your team? How did you, uh, I mean, I'm sure that it wasn't all face-to-face because that probably wasn't even possible. What was your approach? 
we had multiple meetings throughout the day, multiple phone calls, multiple conference calls. There were in some cases where we did have a few face-to-face meetings, you know, when we, when we needed infection prevention or, or quality to come down and look at some products and look at some things for us because we had to get things approved. But we had a cadence of calls on a daily basis, multiple calls on a daily basis, making sure the team was communicated to, making sure the leaders were communicated to, making sure executive leadership was communicated to. And it got to a point where almost whatever time of that day was, folks expected that call to happen. And that went on for you know a few months until we slowed it down a little bit and, and got our feet under us. But but communication was constant. Uh, we you know we had to make sure that we had PP requirements out there. PP requirements changed almost every other week when the CDC would come down with a new guideline. You know, so we had to make sure that process communications helped us communication. We had to update. But yes, it was it was um, more of um, the, the the cadence of communication. Steve, you've mentioned serving leadership a couple times. When were you introduced to serving leadership, and and how have you continued to learn about serving leadership? I was introduced, that's a great question. I was introduced at some point in my career at Akron General. I thought the concept was, was obviously, it made a lot of sense. You know, and instead of being somebody that's trying to do the work and trying to pull people along, try to take the barriers out of the way so they can, they can just do what they need to do. You know, don't, you know, don't put them in a spot where they have to take down the barrier because they're probably uncomfortable doing that, right? So that's my job to do that, my role to do that. And, and when I got to the Cleveland Clinic, it even became more important just because of the, the matrix, you know, the matrix organization that we live in and, and the complexity around it. I mean, you know, there's, there's a number of folks that, 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 you know, you have to have conversations with to make things move forward, you know, explain the why to. And it's worth my time to do that so I can get the project done fast, you know, faster than a normal cycle or as fast as we need done so that, again, my folks can do the work. It's it, it, it's a concept that I enjoy. I mean, and I think that's why in these last five years, Dr. Bowa, I've loved what I do because I'm not only helping patients and caregivers, but I'm helping my own team get the work done, right? So it, it, it becomes, a, you know, it becomes a full circle, right? I'm, I'm helping, helping my folks help the caregivers who are taking care of those patients, which is just, it's a great thing. I'm a people person, so I'm in the right business because we take care of people. <clears throat> So that's a great summary. And, and one of the things that's really important is that everybody wants to have purpose in their lives, whatever they're doing in a work environment. And clearly, you've done a wonderful job doing that with your team, Steve. And to our listeners, again, this is an individual who performed absolutely heroically with his team to get this very large healthcare organization that we work for, the Cleveland Clinic, uh, through some very tough times uh, in the COVID pandemic. And and supply chain became extraordinarily important. And and certainly, uh, Steve deserves an enormous amount of credit for that. So Steve, thanks for joining us. Have a great day, everybody. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Beyond Leadership. We welcome any topic ideas, comments, or questions about this or any past episodes. Email us at executiveeducation at ccf.org or by clicking on the link in the show notes.